Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Warning. Kind of Murdery contains adult themes, explicit language, and descriptions of violence. It is not suitable for anyone, and we recommend you stop listening now. Hello everyone, and welcome to Kind of Murdery, a true crime podcast that's mostly about murder, and always about the strange and compelling stories that arise when the path less traveled twists to darkness and those who walk its shadows surrender to violence and corruption. I'm your host, Zevin Odelberg, and we have a perilous journey ahead. So thank you for lending me your courage and good company. Hi, I hope everyone had a pleasant Thanksgiving. We've arrived at part two of Black Friday, the mysterious Thanksgiving murder of Mandy Stavick. Notice I said part two, so if you haven't heard part one yet, go back and listen to it then rejoin us, we'll save you a seat. The sources for today's episode are the same as in part one, and you can find them in the show notes. Do you remember, on Thursday's episode, the two moms at the water park, Backstrom and Anderson, how they realized that they both suspected the same man of Mandy Stavick's murder, and for similarly unsettling reasons. And when they realized their shared suspicion, they decided it was finally time to say something to the authorities. In this case, 20 plus years too late was definitely better than never. And so, in 2013, Heather Backstrom and Marilee Anderson went to see Whatcom County Sheriff Bill Elfo and told him of their shared suspicion regarding Mandy's murderer. And with this new information, the dominoes of justice delayed, not justice denied, began to fall. And today we'll trace the improbable path of events that at long last lead to the capture and conviction of Mandy Stavick's murderer. And so, if you're ready to take that journey with me, then I suggest you put your personal items underneath the seat in front of you, stow your carry-on in the overhead compartment, let go of the cares of the day, but be sure your seatbelt is fastened. There's turbulence expected ahead. Kinda murdery. Black Friday. The mysterious Thanksgiving murder of Mandy Stavick, part two, starts now. Heather Backstrom and Marilee Anderson told the sheriff that the man they suspected of murdering Mandy was the same man they'd both identified as a creeper years ago around the time of Mandy's murder. His name was Timothy Bass, and he 
like Mandy Stavick, was a graduate of Mount Baker High School. In fact, Tim Bass and the Bass family were friends with the Stavick family. Tim was the elder brother of Tom Bass. If you'll recall, Mandy had seen Tom and her ex-boyfriend Rick Zender on her first day back in Acme. When Mandy's dog had returned home cowed without Mandy, Mary Stavick, Mandy's mother, called Rick, and Rick and Tom were among the first community members to look for Mandy. It was the Bass House, home to both Tim and Tom, that Mandy had jogged by almost daily on her habitual run. And it was the Bass House that Mandy jogged past on that fateful Black Friday when her young life, so full of promise, would be cruelly taken from her by a brutish, murdering sex criminal. It was Tim Bass who had frightened both women so many years ago. Tim who, with his fake phone call home invasion, had terrified Marilee Anderson and her infant. To this day, Marilee didn't know how she had convinced him to leave without being assaulted. And it was Tim Bass who Backstrom and Anderson's late-arriving suspicions sent the sheriff's office to investigate. It was Tim Bass who shot to the top of the suspect list when he pretended not to recognize the name Mandy Stavick who was not just a nationally famous murder victim, but also his younger brother's friend, and a daughter of the Stavics, who were friends with the Bass family, who went to the same high school, the same church, and lived in the same town of no more than 200 people. Of all the remote unlikelihoods that may arise in a murder mystery or in pursuit of a cold case, of all the wild improbabilities that may in fact prove to be true in the end, it was close to an impossibility that Tim Bass would have no recollection of who Mandy Stavick the friend of his family, the friend of his brother, the beautiful blonde girl in the town of barely 200 who ran past his house nearly every day for years. It was truly just about impossible that Tim Bass honestly wouldn't know who she was, wouldn't remember what had happened to her. He had to be lying. But why? The authorities thought they knew, but knowing wasn't enough. They had to prove it. So, after Baxter and Anderson shared their suspicions with the sheriff, Detective Bowie went to see Tim, who didn't just pretend not to know Mandy. He also refused to provide the DNA that the detective requested, saying simply that he, quote, didn't trust the police, who of course were suspicious to the point of certainty now. But suspicions aren't evidence, and Tim had the right to deny the police the DNA sample, and the police knew that they wouldn't be able to introduce Tim's denial as evidence at the trial because, again, Tim had the right to refuse and informing the jury that he'd done so would be prejudicial. So what were they going to do now? It was a conundrum that ground the wheels of justice to a halt, and law enforcement, stymied, spun their own wheels for years. They knew it was Bass, but how were they going to get him? After Bass's refusal to provide a DNA sample in 2013, police contacted him again in February 2015 in relation to the Stavik investigation. After the second contact, Bass became anxious and told his brother Tom he was worried because he'd had sex with Stavick when she'd been home for Thanksgiving in 1989. Tom was shocked and asked Bass how that had happened. Bass said, Oh, I just went up to her and said, Oh, you're keeping fit. And that was it. Bass told Tom that he and Stavick had slept together a couple of times before she'd gone off to college as well. Bass asked Tom to tell the police that Tom had also slept with Stavick, as if implying that Stavick had, quote, slept around, unquote. Several days later, Bass and then-wife Gina Malone had a conversation with Bass's mother, Sandra. Bass asked Sandra if they could agree to tell the police that Bass's deceased father had killed Stavick. Sandra 
covered her face with her hands and said no. Of course, the police had no way of knowing that a terrified Tim Bass was working his family, begging them to provide him with an alibi, an alternate killer, or in the case of the request to his younger brother Tom to tell the police that he also had been sleeping with Mandy, additional reasonable doubt. Tim Bass's blatant immorality and narcissism is absolutely stomach-churning. His family would later testify that they didn't inform the police of Tim's panic requests for fear that he might harm them. So, in February 2015, as Tim Bass was panicking and leaning on his family to lie to the police, he was also working as a delivery truck driver at Fran's Bakery, and his manager was a woman named Kim Wagner, who, although justice would again be delayed, was destined to become the hero of this story. Detective Bauhe reached out to Kim Wagner, hoping to obtain company consent from Fran's Bakery to swab the delivery trucks for touch DNA, DNA left behind when people touch or use something. Bauhe did not identify the employee he was investigating, and Wagner ultimately told Detective Bauhe he would need to talk with the corporate office in order to get permission for any such search, and she provided him with a phone number for the corporate office. Wagner would later say in an interview that she felt the request was way above her pay grade, which is certainly understandable. Bauhe reached out to the company, who refused to give permission to law enforcement to search its vehicles. Over two years later, in May of 2017, Detective Bauhe again contacted Wagner. This time, two important things had changed. Kim was a mom, and, well, see for yourself. This is Kim Wagner's story. A couple years after she'd first been approached by the police, during a conversation with her husband and friends at a bar that veered into discussing her co-workers, a name came up, delivery driver Timothy Bass, and that he had lived on the same street that Mandy Stavick had lived on before she was killed. This light went off in my head and I thought, is that why the police were at my work? The next time police entered Fran's bakery, this time in hopes of getting Timothy Bass's delivery route, Kim Wagner was ready. She took the detective to her office and asked him whether he was investigating the Mandy Stavick case. He just looked at me, like a cartoon character, like the eyes popping out of their head. He just looked at me like, oh my god. And then I said, was it Tim Bass? said Wagner, who then gave him Timothy Bass's delivery route. Police still did not have a subpoena or a search warrant, but Wagner decided to act on her own. Bauhe said they'd learned that Timothy Bass, whose job was to deliver baked goods, wore gloves during his shifts, and oddly didn't seem to throw things away at work. Tim basically took his trash home, Bauhe said. He didn't leave any chance that somebody would find something. Wagner then offered to help get authorities a DNA sample from Timothy Bass, but they had to decline her offer because they could not ask a civilian to collect evidence. However, they could accept evidence brought to them, and Wagner decided to take matters into her own hands. I 100% volunteered to do it, she said. The reason I wanted to know was I'm a mom now. If something happened to my daughter, I'd want someone to help me. And the thought of her mom never having an answer of who did that to her daughter. If I could help her find peace, I wanted to do it. Wagner watched Timothy Bass closely. When the bakery got a water cooler, she saw him drink from one of the cooler's plastic cups and throw it away. I looked in the garbage and my heart was like beating out of my chest, she said. I grabbed it and I put it in my desk drawer. I was like, oh my god, that 
just happened. When investigators sent the cup for testing, they learned that the DNA taken from it matched the one taken from Mandy Stavick's body. In 2017, 28 years after Mandy Stavick's murder, Timothy Bass was arrested at Franz Bakery and taken to the Whatcom County Sheriff's Office. Bowhay described Timothy Bass's demeanor as, quote, flat, unquote, in the interview room with police. I'm sure in his mind he was thinking, I've gone through all these measures to make sure you guys didn't actually get my DNA. How did this happen? Where did I screw up? Said Bowhay. I think once he realized we actually did have his DNA, then he switched. Timothy Bass told investigators that he and Mandy Stavick had been having a secret sexual relationship. I met her. I think I was with my dad. We were mountain bike riding up and down the road, and he talked to her. He had a way with people. He just talked to her, and I talked to her, and then after that, I'd mountain bike up and down the road, and she'd jog, and then we'd just talk and stuff. I think that was in the spring. It wasn't that long a relationship because she went away to college. I want to say Eastern or Central, Timothy Bass can be heard saying in the interrogation tapes. Timothy Bass said that he had no correspondence between him and Mandy Stavick, and that he had made no phone calls to her. She'd just say when she'd come back and she'd see me, Timothy Bass said. It was more of a friendship thing. We just talked, and then it just kind of grew into a more physical thing, and we didn't even really do it that much. It was more just kissing and stuff. Bass then claimed that Mandy had just shown up at his house the day she disappeared. The story was his way of accounting for how his DNA had been found on Mandy Stavick, authorities said. His father, the only person who could verify his claims, had died. But neither police nor Mandy Stavick's family believed his story. There's no way my sister would have had a relationship with him, a physical relationship with Tim Bass, Mandy's sister said. She was way, way out of his league. To put it bluntly, Timothy Bass was arrested on December 12, 2017, and charged with murder in the first degree. Mandy's mother, Mary Stavick, learned of the arrest on her 81st birthday. Timothy Bass maintained his innocence and denied any involvement in Mandy Stavick's rape and murder. I don't know what else to say, he told investigators. Everything I have said is the truth. Gina Malone, who was still Timothy Bass's wife at the time, originally gave him an alibi telling police that she was with him at his house the day Stavick disappeared. I was on my way to Tim's house because I went to his house after school and I passed her. She was running, Malone told investigators in 2017, so I saw her. Tim Bass's brother Tom and his mother Sandra visited Bass in jail a number of times. Tom testified about statements Bass made during one of those visits. He said, The cops are lying. Everyone is out to get him. Everyone is lying. He said they're going to kill me in here. And the main, the main point of it, he said, is I need a strong alibi or I'm going to prison. He said, Mom, maybe you can say that we were Christmas shopping. I'll do what I can, replied his mother. And she said, maybe other friends of ours will say that they knew her back then as well. At Timothy Bass's trial in May 2019, prosecutors asked each witness whether they'd ever seen Mandy Stavick with him at any time. No one said they had. Timothy Bass's family members took the stand. When lawyers called Timothy Bass's younger brother Tom to testify, he told them that his older brother was very anxious after investigators asked him to submit a DNA sample. He said, The reason I'm so worried, the reason I'm so anxious, is that I slept with Mandy, testified Tom. I said, What? And then Tim goes, Yeah, I slept with Mandy. Then he said, 
I was hoping that you could maybe say you slept with her too, Tom Bass said on the witness stand. I said, this is Tom speaking, how long did this go on? And Tim said, oh, we slept together a couple times before she went to college and then once when she came back on Thanksgiving break. Tom Bass told authorities that he refused to lie for his brother and say that he slept with Mandy Stavick. Gina Malone, who by then had filed for divorce from Timothy Bass, also testified. She had come forward to the police previously and admitted that the alibi she'd originally given Bass was not true. She said she had no memory of being at the Bass house the day after Thanksgiving. I believe Gina provided his alibi to protect herself and that once she felt secure and safe herself, then she could actually tell the truth, said Bauhey. Gina Malone said that after the police had come to her in Timothy Bass's house in 2017, he told her that she needed to lie and say that he was with her that day. He said, Otherwise, I'm going to go to prison. What do you say to someone like that? She testified. Like, you have to be careful about what you say. I felt like I just had to agree with everything he was saying because if I didn't, uh, I could be next. I wasn't a strong person back then. I was very weak, but I should have gone with my gut instinct. On May 24, 2019, the jury convicted Timothy Bass of murder in the first degree. I felt like I was holding my breath for 30 years. Mandy's ex-boyfriend, Zender, told ABC News. I can't even describe the relief when he was found guilty. Before he was sentenced, Timothy Bass addressed the court. I would first like to say that I am 100% innocent of this crime. I wish no ill will toward anyone here, not even today, but I'm having a hard time with this, he said. The judge gave Timothy Bass the maximum sentence of 320 months in prison. The barest of silver linings came out of all this, and I certainly don't mean to suggest in any way that that silver lining counterbalances in any way the horrific rape and murder of a beautiful young girl. But it's worth noting that after Mandy was killed, a reward fund, which eventually raised $25,000, was set up in the hopes of generating tips that might lead to an arrest. The money raised was then donated to a scholarship fund set up in Mandy Stavick's name at Mount Baker High School. To date, the scholarship has been awarded 29 times since 1990 to students who take a, quote, active part in the Mount Baker High School music program. So that at least, in addition to the conviction of Tim Bass, is one small thing we can walk away from this story feeling good about. And before I say goodbye, I wanted to quickly remind you about the three-digit lifeline number 988 that you can call seven days a week, 24 hours a day to receive immediate counseling for substance use, mental health, and suicidal thoughts. So please, program it into your phone. And if you're in acute crisis, dial 988. If you're not in acute crisis, but you'd just like to connect with someone, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, kindamurdery at gmail.com. I'm here, I care, and I would love to connect with you. Also, please remember, if there's a story of your particular life challenges that you would like to share with the Kind of Murdery community, please do reach out to me again, kindamurdery at gmail.com, and share your story. Of course, it's up to you whether I share it on the show or not, but my hope is that by sharing our unique stories, we can make more people, more challenges, and more different realities more real to each of us, to each other. And that as we realize the humanity of those that seem so different from us, we can all continue to build empathy. So if you have a story, once again, that's kindamurdery at gmail.com. And finally, 
If you enjoy the show, if you feel like listening or hearing the stories of others facing unique challenges helps you to face your challenges, or frankly, if you just like the stories, please do take a moment and leave a five-star review wherever you happen to listen. Every bit of engagement helps so much, and I really do appreciate it. And with that, remember to come back here and join me on Thursday, December 1st, for another mystery steeped in the darker side of human nature. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'm Zevin Odelberg, and this has been Kinda Murdery. 